Welcome to Motors and Martinis with Brian Davis and Carrie Hubbard. Uh, there has been some lapse between our last program and today's, but you know what? That's okay. We are delighted to be here, and we are delighted that you are listening. And hello, everyone. I do apologize for the gap. We have both had quite a lot going on in our lives, but we are back now. Um, I don't think we're going to have much of a specific quote-unquote structure on this episode. I think we're just going to banter on and catch up on what we have been up to and my most recent purchase, which is, it's a big one, literally. Oh, really? Do, do, do tell me. I do enjoy a big one. Inquiring minds want to know. Okay, well, go ahead and start off with that because it is... Uh... It's really fitting with everything. End of the Malays era. If anybody knows anything of uh, really fascinating GM history, they knew, they know back in nineteen early 1970s, released for 1973, they made an in-house, purpose-built from the ground-up motorhome, which used the 455 Olds Tornado drivetrain and was a fantastically very interesting vehicle. Well, we bought one yesterday, actually, at auction. <laughs> now that is a smart move because you've hoarded something that you can hoard things in. So I call that efficient buying. I really haven't looked at it that way. We're going to actually try and remodel it and use it and not use it as a hoarder's den. So I have to be really careful about that one. Well, I mean, maybe you could do just a little bit of hoarding. Do you remember the uh, Lucille Ball, Ricky Ricardo uh, movie, The Long, Long Trailer? And they've they're, they're towing this enormous trailer cross-country, and Lucy stops and picks up rocks as souvenirs, like, every time they pull over to the side of the road. And, and, and Ricky's like, Lucy, why is the trailer not working? Well, because it was full of rocks. And actually, a fun bit of trivia, in some scenes in that movie, it's a Mercury pulling the trailer. In other scenes, it's a Lincoln, because the Mercury couldn't get it up the hills. But that's, <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going off on a, on a whole other tangent. You don't need to worry about that, because you have rocket power pulling you oh, along yes um i do actually pick up and collect rocks on our adventures but not to the amount that my vehicle won't move but um yeah we my my partner and i have talked about for quite a while getting some sort of a camper rv something to go on adventures because of our current situation with having four dogs and living kind of out in the boonies it's very difficult to get up and go explore and have somebody watch our uh, you know our crazy fur babies so we have looked at many different options, including school buses, which I really didn't want to get into, you know, bigger coaches, smaller RVs really didn't work. But the GMC kind of came about randomly at an auction and we got it for a very, very good price. And it is not, um, it's not like super original or like mint showroom. So we can like tear it apart and redo it and modernize it and make it more what we want. So we can actually go on adventures. Oh, that's awesome. Like, I'm all for customizing uh, a vehicle when it's, you know, it, when its original fiber has already been corrupted, then by all means, make it your own. So do you have any specific plans yet for the remodel, or is it just going to kind of be an off-the-cuff project? We've got a lot of stuff kind of in the queue as far as, like, I've saved a bunch of links. You know, we're going to tear out the original water heater, heating systems, HVAC. We're going to put a high-efficiency tankless propane hot water heater in it, a really high-end Wabasso diesel air heater, uh, probably put some new efficient, high-efficient rooftop units, um, you know, redo the cabinets, probably get rid of the old stove and oven because I really don't need an oven, and then just kind of, when we get it, we're just pretty much going to sit in it, and I think get a vibe for it, draw out some ideas, and then slowly start doing the remodel. 
Yeah, that's a good idea, spending a little time in there. I mean, it's it's a little bit like when you buy a new house. Everyone wants to rush in and make all their changes, but there's a lot to be said for living with the house for a couple of months, maybe even a year before you start, uh, you know, tearing out walls and changing things. Get the feel for it. Let it tell you what you need to do. Ideas and using, putting something to function are completely different. You'll think one thing is absolutely brilliant and then you use it for six months. You're like, this is the stupidest placement or this just does not work. I wish I would have done it this way. And that's actually what we've done a lot in our house. We didn't really change much. And now that we've been here for three years, we're like, okay, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And this is going to happen. Yeah, I I hear you. My my old house in Fresno, which was uh, probably the best house I've ever lived in, I, it evolved um, over the 15 years I lived there. Of course, I didn't do half of what I wanted to, but by the time I was done, just the, the interior aesthetic, it, it had a certain magic. And now I'm in the new house trying to sort of recreate that. But now I have to recreate it with a husband whose tastes lean a little more, you know, uh, Cape Cod, coastal, you know, relaxed, somewhat... I'm not going to go so far as to say minimalist, but... He's certainly not a maximalist. Thankfully, my other half and I are very on the same page with most everything when it comes to interior design and how we do stuff. So it's usually, I would say, if you like it, I'm probably going to like it, vice versa. So that usually works. But in your case, it's a lot more methodically thought because both of you have to discuss it and figure out something that works for both. Well, that's why the, the new house has what we have already started referring to as Brian's Parlor, which is the front room, because it's an old farmhouse. It's built in 1921. It's been added on to a few times, but the, the front room of the house is very much the parlor, and that's the direction I have taken. In fact, I I uh, just I was just out in California, and I shipped some um, antique uh, new art stretch glass lampshades and uh, another chandelier. I shipped those east so I could install them in the house. I already had the chandelier here and it was something that had hung in my Fresno house and I dearly loved so I've I've now got it up in in all its its uh iridescent glory in in Brian's parlor so you know and, and Chris isn't it's not like we're diametrically opposed the the Venn diagram of Brian and Christopher there there is some some overlap there's enough that we can work together I my taste is still bet oh shit he listens to this um I admire Chris's restraint and 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 uh desire for for organizational uh aesthetics and minimalist decor anyway so uh yeah so back to the motorhome and things yeah motorhome that's the ticket yes so it's getting delivered this coming up sunday and uh it needs some engine work it doesn't currently run so i've got a first mission of anything is to get it to move and function as a vehicle because that is a 26 foot lump that i really don't want just sitting around that doesn't move because i'm not pushing it i'm not even gonna pull it with my truck i don't think so uh, any ideas what's wrong with the engine or is it just they're saying it doesn't start and you've got to get in there and figure it out? Somebody started doing some sort of work on it and removed the intake manifold and then the project got abandoned. It's been sitting for at least four or five years as far as I know. So at this point, it could be anything. I'll just do my usual, you know, diagnostics, di- detective diagnostics. There you go. That's a tongue twister. And, uh, you know, just go through the range of motions and get it running. And if the engine is Kashmukka, I've got a friend that has a couple of 455 front-wheel drive engines laying around that I could always switch in. So thankfully, we're, like, not even planning on trying to make it usable within, like, the next year. So we've got plenty of time to make it function, refit it, and make it as a good usable RV. And we're planning to keep this thing for a very long time. because I mean, it's a 
for motorhomes, it's actually very collectible. It's kind of a cult, cult followed motorhome. It's really interesting. Oh yeah, very much, and understandably so. Uh, and some of the interiors that uh, GM offered with them were really fantastic, like these these great Kelly and lime green concoctions. They they were outstanding. I mean, I would dearly love to have one. Um, I don't have anywhere to put it, but that's that's another story for another day. Uh, one of the ones that they made in the mid '80s, I always called Orange and Blow because it was so '70s. And oh my God, you can just imagine what happened in that thing. I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> But um, so, yeah, it's uh, and the thing that I like most about this compared to anything else I've ever been in, except for, you know, like maybe a new two hundred thousand dollar coach is when I stand up in it, I have space between my head and the ceilings. I'm six two and most most coaches and RVs are very tight and I have a hard time standing up. This one has so much headroom, but that's that no drive shaft, no differentials, low load floor, low center of gravity. It's amazing. Oh, it was incredibly smart of GM to use their pre-existing front wheel drive power package from the Toronado in the, the minivan, minivan, the, the RV, because it allowed that low floor. It made great use of space and, you know, uh, Front-wheel drive traction works just as well in a big vehicle as a small one. And I can hear everyone whining about wrong-wheel drive now, but they can all go to hell. We will eventually have an episode where we touch and get into very in-depth when it comes to front-wheel drive, including going back to the era of a Christie. But again, another episode because we can ramble on about that for quite some time. Oh, yeah. And then from Christie, we can go to some of the, the Millers. There were some Singer front wheel drives in the 30s. And of course, don't forget Cord and, and okay, Cord, Citroen. Right. Yeah. Anyways. All right. All right. Okay. We're, um, we're not, we're not going to go down the tangent. Yep. We're not going to go down the yeah, rabbit we're not, hole. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and ignore that right up hole. Um, a lot has happened with you recently since we've talked. I know you went to Hershey for a short period of time. You got married. You went on a bunch of adventures. Oh my God, yes, I have done all of the things. So Hershey was wonderful, and I was talking to a friend of mine. The, you, my, our listeners have probably heard me mention him before. He curates a, a very nice collection up in Maine, and, and he was down there showing some of their cars, and uh, I was talking to him, and he said, you should do, a car guy should, or a car person should do Pebble Beach once in their life. That's enough. But Hershey, you should do every year. And I, I don't think he's entirely wrong. It was a very relaxed vibe, and there was everything from incredibly rare brass machinery to, you know, a kind of a, a, you know, a knackered Caprice wagon. It was it was a very diverse show, and everyone was having a very good time. I did not get a lot of time to peruse the swap meet, which is a, a real shame, because there was one vendor. He had all kinds of British Leyland shop signs and things, and they're not repops. They were original, and I could have easily spent a fortune at his space, but, you know, hindsight, 2020, so on and so forth. Um, interestingly, too, another friend of mine who was there, and and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention his name just because we haven't discussed it, but he he also curates a collection actually out in Southern California, and and he's a young guy, he's young younger even than you, carry and uh, we're talking about the brass era cars, and he said the brass era drivers take their their iron out on the road more than just about anyone else in the high end collector car world, and and uh, I I found that to be actually somehow not surprising. It's that that sort of Mister Toad syndrome, I guess. I've actually heard a lot of that from other collectors that the people of that period, like they will, they'll drive their cars until they don't function anymore and they'll find a way to cast a new block or restore it some way and then keep driving it. They really are very enthusiastic about using their vehicles, which is great because it's a vehicle that's what it should be used for. Indeed. So, and as you mentioned, I did in fact get married and uh, my now husband and I used a steam locomotive to, to arrive at our ceremony. We did a 
very brief uh, outdoor ceremony at the Connecticut Valley Railroad uh, where he works part-time. And they very kindly let us borrow a 101-year-old locomotive. Now, that's awesome. That was absolutely fantastic. And if you think that uh, it's not hot to make out with an engineer and a locomotive, let me tell you, it is. But that's, again, I'm getting off on a tangent. So we were supposed to use the locomotive and my beloved 89 town car. The idea being Christopher was going to come in on the locomotive. He is, after all, the engineer. And I was going to drive in in the town car quick little ceremony, then we're going to drive away in the town car. However, however, dear Mr. Murphy and his law threw a monkey wrench into the works. So the new house has got a beautiful shop facility with a lift. I had the Lincoln up on the lift, getting it ready for the drive from Maryland to Connecticut, changing the oil, making sure the ball joints were tight, all those little things. And uh, I go to pick the the Lincoln up off of the stops on the lift and drop it so I could do whatever. And the motor that powers the hydraulic ram starts kind of going. And then the hydraulic ram itself starts pissing hydraulic fluid everywhere. Literally everywhere. There was a puddle on the floor that looked like I don't know how much. But long story short. The ram blew a seal, leave my personal life out of it, and and the Lincoln is stuck on the lift still to this day because I've been too busy doing things to get the ram off down to the hydraulic shop to have it fixed. That is the most awkward situation you can possibly think of getting into. Like, I mean... It's one of those, like, really? Are you freaking kidding me? Oh, I was, and this is like the day before we were supposed to drive I, to Connecticut. I was, oh, oh, I didn't mention the fact the minister who was originally going to, to officiate came down with COVID like two days before the ceremony. Oh, great. Even better. But no, but fortunately, but it all worked out because, again, we just both came in on the locomotive and the conductor that day was also a Congregationalist minister and a friend of the minister who was originally going to, to officiate. And and he stepped in. So we, we were married by the, the reverend conductor. And on the on the marriage certificate, he wrote at Chester Station along the Connecticut Valley line. And I just loved that sort of, you know, early 20th, 19th century way of phrasing it. And I, I delighted in that. I mean, to me, I can see it. That's actually, that's kind of almost like an overly romantic thing to have done. You know, maybe the universe was trying to say, hey, this is how it should be. And it'll, you know, look back at it in the future and get a good chuckle and a great memory. I, I, I will not have the universe telling me how I should live my life or conduct my marriage ceremony. Oh, there I go again. I'm the, the, the universe is more powerful than me. I'm just a speck of dust, a tiny infinitesimal nothing in the vastness of everything. I hate that. I have just discovered upon my older years of now that I just roll with it. I'm like, eh, whatever. I can't afford the stress or the anxiety anymore. I'm just like, eh, it happens what it happens. Well, and that, and eventually, after after a series of meltdowns, that's the, the point we got to. And, and frankly, the wedding couldn't have been more beautiful. Um, it was a brief ceremony, and the weather was flawless, and, you know, it was it was lovely. So, so and on top of that, I... I uh, not long after that, I went to SEMA. I got to go to the SEMA show, um, which was, all right, I don't do crowds well. Oh, Lar- yeah, no, I totally agree. And SEMA, I, w- I walked an average of five miles a day going through the booths. And honestly, there was a whole lot of stuff, very little of which interested me personally, with the exception of one beautifully resto-modded Pinto cruising wagon. And they 
kept the plaid interior, but it was updated ever so slightly. It was still an automatic, and they kept the old Ford kind of T-handle shifter. But under the hood was... The Cruise-O-Matic shifter. Correct, the Cruise-O-Matic shifter. But under the hood was a turbocharged EcoBoost from a Mustang. And it was just so perfectly done and the details were so subtle they even kept the federal impact bumpers if you didn't know what you were looking at you would think that pinto's stock or is it but no it was it was it was the queen of sema in my opinion that is that's actually really neat one of like my big problems and you know i'm not gonna crap on anybody because if you are a car person an enthusiast that's your thing i can absolutely but I don't look at it and enjoy it. And a lot of custom builds are too showy. They're too, look at me, everything's different. And aesthetic wise, that's not what I enjoy. But I can really get behind, like there's a guy that I've seen on TikTok that has like a completely bone stock looking Ford Fairmount. Like it is like, oh cool. This guy's grandmother just drove it to church yesterday. And you open up the hood and it's got a Coyote 5 liter with a turbo the size of, you know, a walrus sitting next to it and he smokes cars for days. I think that's actually kind of neat. You know, it's not like, oh my God, everything's different. But, you know, that's probably why I really haven't gone to SEMA because I've seen pictures and I'm always just like, eh, I, I don't know. It's it's a little too much for me, but some of the stuff can be cool though. Yeah, I went I went for work uh, that I wouldn't have gone for, for myself, but uh, since work was willing to send me there, I was like, well, I'll go, and and actually it was enjoyable. I, I don't I don't love Las Vegas as a destination, but I, I was there with my supervising editor, and we found a really good authentic Korean restaurant. You know, about two thirds of a mile from the hotel, and we went there. I went there twice, and he went there three times. It was that good. Wow, that sounds pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, there was no. We were the only people in there who spoke English. It was brilliant. That's that's usually a mark of a great place when you can't understand anyone saying anything. Yeah, I mean, the, the hostess, you know, she kind of spoke broken English enough that we could make our order. And, you know, she loved us for coming back and she knew that we really loved the food. So nice. Ooh, God, that actually sounds really good. I haven't had good Korean food in a while. But anyways, um, Matt, what else is going on? I know you were texting me recently talking that you might be thinking of getting rid of the little Fiat and getting something a bit more... Uh, larger. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you, the, the I love that damn car. It is one of the most engaging drives I've ever, ever partaken of. Now, mind you, it's, it's deeply flawed in so many ways, but that's what makes it great. It, it really is an engaging car. However, it's been doing this thing where it has an intermittent uh, misfire on cold startup, and it's random. And I thought I had that fixed, that it was down to the multi-air screen, but... Uh, it, it has returned, and it, it just bothers me that it's got this recurrent problem that I'm having a hard time sussing out. Um, I know I can get a decent amount of money for it because it's still low mileage, immaculate, very, very nice car. And a friend of mine has an early 2000s Lincoln Town Car in triple black, low mileage, that he's looking to unload. And I know I can trust a Lincoln. And I, I, feel, I feel somewhat emasculated by being... Gosh, I just want my car to start. But at the same time, I do want my car. To, more to the point, I don't mind if my car doesn't start if I understand why it's not starting and how I can rectify it. If I were Chuck Sherman or you, I, I would probably be tearing the variable valve timing apart on the, on the Fiat. But I, I just do not have the time or the bandwidth to get into something that complex. I wrench on my own cars, but I am not a mechanic. 
for for me for the longest time i only drove old cars like i had this very like belief system you know that i don't need a new car i don't need this and you know i'd probably say about 80 percent of the time i had fairly reliable old cars i'm talking like 50s and 60s that's all i would drive maybe something in the 70s and it took a few years of working as a career mechanic to not tighten the fan belt on my truck that squealed for six months because i had no desire to do it and that's when i just said to hell with it and i went and bought a brand new car it had seven miles on it. that's my uh 2019 gti so you know i have gotten spoiled to where i hit button it goes it doesn't go i drop it off they make fix i pick up it goes again and then i get in one of my old cars and if it misbehaves i can deal with it when i want to and that level of um reduced stress has been nice the older i get because my energy of wanting to deal with that stuff all the time if i need to get somewhere is getting a little old yeah i mean and i guess i could live with it because christopher's got a brand new car and i've got the lincoln the lincoln will always start but at the same time i don't want to take the lincoln out if it's snowing uh, or there's salt on the road. I mean, that, that there is not a drop of rust on it, and I want to keep it that way. Of course, this this you know early aughts town car I'm talking about, it's also that perfect, but it's it's not reached the level of being a classic yet. I expect it will one day. But and again, I, I haven't I haven't put all these plans into motion yet. I may change my mind, but I, I'm really on the fence with this one. Now that. What like oh one oh two Lincoln? That's got the four six, right? Yeah, they all do. All the town from from ninety from like late ninety to the end of production, they're all the four six Romeo. Okay. And I mean that engine went through some changes in that time period. They're not identical, but it's like like different intakes and things like that. But you know they're all they're all detail changes. And I mean I know that that's a quarter million mile drivetrain in that Lincoln if I take care of it, and uh, I'm not sure that it's a quarter million mile drivetrain in the 500 to Bart. Yeah, I. That that's yeah. I, I don't I don't know if I could see that happening. I mean it might, but it's well, fun, it, practical. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. It's I don't. I think the most I've ever seen on one of those is maybe like. Actually, my friend Justin had one with 160,000 miles on it, and it was literally falling apart at the seams, and his mom got rid of it because she just couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah, you know, and I think think if I were a collector and I had room for multiple cars, I would keep the Abarth as a high day and holiday car because I do think they're special. I think that they are actually, and I keep using the word engaging and the word esoteric, but they're one of the last esoteric cars to be sold in the U.S. They are not practical at all. I mean... Oh, and that's e- what, they're a blast. Exactly. Even even a Miata, uh, which is also quote-unquote impractical, has the virtue of being mechanically viceless. It will start every time without any issues. It won't do a little... Hey, my variable valve timing system, she's an out-of-working ride. I'm not going to run on all cylinders for a while. I'm going to throw a code. I'm going to be cranky. Yeah, that is true. And again, I, you know, and again, my, my, a BART is mecha- it's as solid as it can be, and when it's not doing that weird intermittent thing, it runs like a striped-ass ape. It's, I think it's as good as one of those will get, and in the hands of an enthusiast, uh, a real specialist in that market probably be one hell of a car oh oh definitely but um i was gonna say oh 
I mean, we've talked about actually getting like a 90s, early 2000s town car because I love our Lincoln and I love driving it. But every time I drive it, you know what that means. It means my uh, mobile stock goes up because you've had to fill the tank. I When I got back from my trip, I actually I had a couple of weeks of um, getting over COVID, which was a total pain in the ass. But I, I really had very low energy, and the Lincoln was the closest to getting out of the yard. So that's all I drove for two weeks. Like, I didn't go in anywhere, but, you know, if I, like – just had to get out of the house, just go drive around the neighborhood or, you know, just go do something. I drove the Lincoln and it took all of four days to drain the gas tank, which, you know, is a good size gas tank, but, you know, eight miles to the gallon, just driving around where I live that it gets a little hurting sometimes. Oh yeah. But I'll tell you what though, for, for, for a, for a semi invalid, that's the perfect car because it's a rolling couch. Oh, it, it really is. You just open the door, you just sink into those crazy pillow top leather seats and throw the armrest down and set the position throw the bitch and drive it just go it's oh i could just actually sit in the car and do nothing because it's so comfortable and 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 the steering assist it you know you've got hard medium easy and then grandma has rheumatoid arthritis that's where the steering assist is on that car just a pinky no effort at all when i park it i park it with a finger i just I've had a friend in the car a while back, and I went to go park it, and I literally took my hands off the wheels and threw my finger in there and just started spinning it. And he was like, oh, my God. And I was like, this redefines what you think of power steering. It's over-boosted, and it's 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 hysterical. I love, I just adore that car so much. You know, there are times when I, I regret decades of traditional automotive journalists you know, sucking BMW's dick and, and, and going on about Nürburgring times and steering feel and oversteer and all that nonsense. There is a lot to be said for a couch with 300 pounds feet of torque. The best line I can ever uh, use, and I've used it many times, is from my partner's uncle. His grandmother had a 1991 Cadillac Sedan DeVille, you know, 4.9 front wheel drive, you know, it had pillow top leather seats. She bought it brand new and uh, she adored that car. But uh, that my partner's uncle, he called it the marshmallow mobile because every time he'd get in it or sit in it or drive it, he said it felt like a big marshmallow. And I'm like, that's what I adore. But so many few, so many people have gotten away from that marshmallow feel on that firm tight feel that it's just overplayed bring back marshmallows but i and I, I totally get it like i've got the i've got the razor sharp little edgy highly engaging turbocharged uh rocket ship it's not really it's really not that fast in terms of actual numbers but it feels like it so i've got that car and then i've got my own lincoln my own marshmallow mobile and of the two guess which one it's looking like gonna get the chop yeah exactly I mean, I've even sat, I sat in a two or three year old Continental and it's comfortable, but it, it's firm. You know, the seats are firm. The suspension is firm and it's a modern firm car. And cause I, for a while there, I was like, maybe I'll sell off my GTI and a couple of my cars and I'll just buy a brand new, you know, or a couple year old Continental. And I just, I sat in it and I was like, no, this, this just, just does not work for me. Although I will, one of the things I do like about the new Continental is I feel they've got a little bit of the intimate interior, like an old Jaguar XJ6 had. I mean, not quite that level, but it's not a vast car. It it is a car with a certain degree of intimacy to the cockpit. Oh, 
I 100% agree with you on that, on the feel of it. But I don't know, going from what you think a big, comfortable car should be, and granted, don't get me wrong, it is comfortable, but not really in the way that I really want, which is why I would go with something probably, I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s, because those are still boaty. I mean, an 01 town car is a boat, and it flops around, and it's great. Yeah, I, I have not driven any of the new Genesis products, but I feel like they are starting to build cars that have, uh, you know, some of the opulent, elegant, luxurious feel that Lincolns and Cadillacs used to have, but but no longer no longer do. How interesting! I've I've got a friend that has a brand new Genesis. He bought like I don't know five six months ago. I'll have to harass him and go have him go take me for a drive in it yeah and i haven't had a chance to get behind the wheel i'm basing this mainly on the aesthetic like i i see kind of you know sedans that have got a lot of hood and a grill and i see interiors that are very you know soothing or at least they appear to be very soothing so i think they're trying to to go after that traditional luxury market with a lot of those cars i'm sure they're more athletic uh, by a long shot than uh, you know an early 90s town car but but I think they're maybe as close as one might be able to get in 2022. Oh, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And uh, for me, a lot of it, though, too, with this is modern cars and technology. I'm just not really in love with the, the tech in modern cars. It just... No, it's too good. It's so competent. They, they've, they, they've, they've binaried all the flaws out, and so now it's not interesting anymore. Yeah, and... I mean, my 2019 GTI, it's got a fair amount of, you know, tech in it, and it works, but I, I don't know. I've, I've got my new car. It works. It starts, and I'll get something older. Well, I mean, no more cars. That's what I'm going at for now. No more cars, because the, the motorhome is going to take up a lot of my project time, and I'm actually selling off a couple of my other vehicles to uh, be able to focus more on important projects, or at least that's what I keep telling myself. Well, whatever it takes, Mary. Um, actually, I saw that pickup truck you've got uh, posted for sale. That thing's beautiful. There was a time when I didn't enjoy a truck with desert patina, but yours is absolutely perfect. I wasn't kidding when I said, hit the whole thing with clear coat and leave it exactly as it is. That's one of those really annoying uh, scenarios that I bought the truck. I, uh, I bought it at the same place that I got the diesel scout at, which... I'll get to that in a minute because I don't have the diesel scout until February. But anyways, um, it was from an estate. The guy had passed away, and I think he might have bought this truck brand new because it was bought brand new in Albuquerque at uh, Gallus Motors, which is still around. It has 107,000 original miles, and it sat for 23 years. And I saw it, and I felt bad for it because I have a soft spot for square body trucks. Me and too. I didn't pay a huge amount of money for it, and I bought it. I cleaned it up. I got it running, and... It actually annoys me because it drives so nice. It drives like an almost brand new 1984 Chevy. It's so tight and just so it's it's amazing to drive and I really don't want to sell it, but I also have five trucks and five trucks is too many. And this one is probably one of the more valuable ones and so I have to be kind of realistic and so um, I put it up for a decent amount of money and so if somebody wants to buy it ex uh, fantastic. But on the side subject of the Scout, it is being used in a TV show. For... Oh, yeah, you mentioned that. That's really cool. Are you able to say what TV show yet, or is that all NDA? 
Oh no, it's been they're already on second season. So it's uh, Dark Winds, which is on AMC, which if I remember right is directed or written by R. R. Martin. Um it's about the Navajo police in the early nineteen seventies. We watched the first couple of episodes and it was it's pretty intense. Very interesting. But I think it's on Amazon Prime or I mean if you have anyone who has AMC they can uh, see it. But my truck, the scout will be used in season two and i'm pretty sure it's going to be a driving role because they rented it for like four months and offered me a substantial amount of money so hey that's that's really cool i'm glad that happened for you uh, i uh, i'm friends with jamie kitman who owns octane film cars and does numerous other things and he was looking for a 1990s um cadillac limo and i did everything i could to get him to use another friend's or not he no actually they wanted a lincoln town car limo and i did everything i could to get him to use a friend's cadillac series 75 limo which would have actually been more correct for the role but the producers wanted a town car and nothing but a town car would do so it, it didn't work out so I'm, I'm glad they they uh the producers of, of, of that program appreciated your scout and, and made you a good offer on it What's well, from what the guy was saying, they're very difficult to uh, to find, especially you know of a particular generation that they were looking for. And mine fit the bill perfectly, I guess. And uh, like he, because originally I was kind of on the fence about it, and this guy just was very persuasive towards it. And I was like, all right, I might as well make this pile of stuff I have laying around make me some money. <laughs> well, I mean, my good friend Simon back in California, who I got after SEMA, I went to see friends and family in California, and I got to see Simon and. He's always, you know, I'm, he's not a curb stoner, but he's someone who will buy something, uh, enjoy it for a while, and then sell it on. And he's done very well by it over the years. That's that's a great way to do it if you can do that and not be like me and fall in love with it and not want to get rid of it, which is why I've got 22, 21, 20, wait. Oh, th- I lost count. We're just going to leave it at that. Yeah, th- There's still a little bit of a hoard in Simon's backyard, but he keeps it under control. Uh, Rhonda, his wife, uh, she's a car gal, but uh, she's also sensible. And they, between the two of them, they they uh, you know they they divest themselves of all but the very most essential things. And I've got to admire their their restraint. That is a fantastic mindset to have, and I'm actually, quote unquote, air quoting, trying to get to that mindset of keeping to the important ones, being realistic about what I can work on and do, and just stay there instead of looking at an auction being like, ooh, a project, 1974 Audi 100, I need that. So speaking of the complete opposite of this mindset, my husband treated himself to something he'd wanted all his life, or at least since he was a teenager going to dealerships getting catalogs. He bought a 1993 Pontiac Sunbird convertible with 15,000 original miles on it. Oh my God, that is crazy. I have not seen one of those in a very long time. It's a W25 spring special. So it's triple white, or actually quadruple white because it's got a white top, white vinyl, white paint, and white rims. Wow, that is wild. Where did, where, where in the world did he find that? Boonville, New York. Which is, if you, if you've never heard of Boonville, New York, there's a reason why it's the middle of absolutely nowhere and what's he bought it from the son of the original owner and the car had never been further than a 20 mile radius of boonville its whole life and we hopped in it and drove it to maryland in the rain in the dark wow and fortunately 1990s gm quality ensured that nothing went wrong and it ran like an absolute top 
That is really cool. I, I applaud him on that one. That is, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah, the, the car is a keeper, and I must admit, I'm fond of it, too. We'd kind of wanted a Chrysler LeBaron um, or even a Dodge Shadow, but the the Sunbird has one, the, or rather, the the LeBaron has something that a Shadow never will, and that's Ultra Drive. Or not Shadow. What about, gosh, a, what about a TC? Oh, I would have definitely done a TC, too. Although, have you ever sat in a TC? They are marvelous. I've driven a TC. A friend of mine has a dual cam Cosworth five-speed. Oh, that's which right. Is... We've talked about that. Ooh, <laughs> and that is the only TC I would get, and he has one. I'm still, I've been bugging him for years. He has a purple on purple on purple five-speed manual dual cam Cosworth TC that he might sell, but he might not sell, but he might sell. One of these days, I want to convince him to sell it to me. Mm, have you ever just considered leaving a strategic banana peel where he might step on it? Hmm. Don't give me any ideas. Oh. One other completely random side subject with the scout. Um, a good friend of mine who actually coordinated the deal with a person in the estate and it's a big circle of craziness. He sent me a message a couple of weeks ago and said that he was helping the new guy who bought the estate property, everything, clean it out because he's also a friend. I don't know. And he said that he had a box of stuff for me and he ended up finding the original International Harvester Scout 2 shot manual and... The original International Harvester slash Nissan Diesel shot manual, which is very hard to find. Oh, yeah. That's got to be hen's teeth. Oh, extremely. And also somewhere I have the Chrysler slash Nissan Diesel operating manual because Chrysler had the contract with Nissan first and the international overlap, whatever. But within that books was a ton of receipts and the original um, warranty form with the name of the original owner and the dealership and the date and everything. And I Googled his name and I talked to him. The guy who you, bought it brand new in 1977. Wow. Not So not only is he still around, he's internet savvy. And, and you go, oh, that is so cool. That is so cool. Well, it was just a, you know, I Googled his name and address and it came up and I, I ended up calling it and his son Stucker. answered. Stucker. Oh, you have no idea. I could get into some really bad details. But um, his son said that he would give me a call back and I talked to him. Really cool guy. And uh, I was like, hi, is this so-and-so? Did you used to own a 1978 International Diesel Scout? And he's like, yeah, I bought it brand new in El Paso. And I was like, huh, I'll be damned. So we talked for about an hour, and he custom ordered it. He picked it up November 8th, 1977, drove it for 12 years, used to drive down to Mexico and get 11-cent diesel over the border because he was stationed down southern New Mexico. <laughs> and, yeah, he's still around. I'm the third, I found out I'm the third owner. He sold it to the guy that died that I bought it from. And uh, when I get it back from the TV show – I want to go drive it up to his house so he can see it again because he hasn't seen it in 30 years. Oh, that is, that is so cool. And actually, that remind one of the reasons, the, the people who sold Chris the Sunbird, uh, they'd had several interested parties, but they sold it to him because uh, one of the big reasons is we promised we'd keep it in a garage, which we do. And, nice. and uh, yeah, like, like he didn't want to sell it to anyone who wanted to just flip it or was going to just drive it into the ground. He wanted to sell it to someone who, like his, his folks, would just take it out on... on nice days for a cruise and that's exactly the the sort of dignified retirement the car is going to receive that that is brilliant when uh when we're off of this you need to text me a picture facebook because i'd love to see that that's so cool oh yeah i'll send you pictures nice well i was just looking at the clock we're actually getting uh getting close to our time so quick little bit of housekeeping for um the end of the episode next week is thanksgiving i don't know when this episode is going to come out so happy thanksgiving or I hope you had a good Thanksgiving, however it goes. 
And I think fairly soon, possibly either next episode or at episode after, Brian and I are going to try and have our first guest appearance on the podcast. Oh, come on. You mean with our multiple personalities, there's not enough guests here already? Let me rephrase that. We'll have an actual third person on the podcast to speak to us about who knows what or what, whatever we can uh, get them on about. Uh, I think it'll be very fun and a nice new chapter to add to the podcast. Oh, I couldn't agree more, and I am so looking forward to it. Well, as usual, Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure, and it's been great to catch up and banter about. Likewise, likewise, and uh, if I do not speak with you before Thanksgiving, I hope you have a very good one. You as well, and uh, we'll catch everyone next time. All right, this has been Motors and Martinis with Brian Davis and whatever your name is. Carrie Hubbard, and now that we have motored, you can martini, even though I'm drinking a cup of tea. Ginger ale here. I am so boring today. Absolutely. Have a good one. <laughs> Bye. Yep, yep.